Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Invest in You. Today we've got a super special guest uh, all the way from Singapore and Sweden. So we've got Jules, uh, uh, Juliana, Joan in uh, Singapore and we've got Charlie from Sweden and I am London. So yes. a warm welcome to this early morning for some of us and middle of the day for others. Uh, Charlie, how is the weather in Sweden? Dark? Dark, basically. <laughs> right, Jules, uh, welcome to the podcast. And uh, for people who have never met you before, um, what do you usually say when people say hi in a network meeting? Hi, I'm Jules and... Hi, I'm Jules and I love spotting people to live life, everyday loving life. Love yeah, it, perfect. I used, yeah. <laughs> perfect, so that, that, that's, that's a great uh, thing, right, Charlie? You also like to help people? Yeah. Perfect. I also say that I like to help people. Uh, and then the, the, the next question comes up like, so what does it mean like helping others? What does it mean to you, Jules? I think helping others for me is to help others trust themselves. Yeah, because if you can't even trust yourself and you don't form a relationship with yourself, you can't really help others. So what I do is I help people to have self-mastery skills yeah. where they learn how to communicate with themselves, uh, understanding their triggers, understanding their how their beliefs actually form their perceptions to others. So, yeah, and we can help and people through that, through that. Perfect. Uh, and uh, surely, just for your sake, I'd like to explain why we are on this call today. So I posted mm-hmm. just the other day um, on LinkedIn, does anyone know someone who is doing taekwondo, uh, who's experienced in, in that sport, uh, who might even be from, uh, from Korea, and, uh, and, and dot, dot, dot. And Melanie, all the way from uh, Melbourne, said, ah, I know someone, she's not from Korea, but she's a really great person. Uh, surely that's why we are on this call. Awesome. Yeah. Um, that's cool. Right, Charlie, yeah. do you have any martial arts background for Jules' sake? Uh, yeah, I do Taekwondo. Right. Oh, wow. So do you learn like, um, any values through Taekwondo? Uh, yeah, of course I do. There's a lot of things we learn uh, when it comes to the training, like respecting each other during the training uh, and uh, respecting the sport so we don't misuse it and stuff like that. And also discipline, huge time. Yeah. Uh, Juliana, you're also a practitioner or have been? Uh, I learned Taekwondo since I was young, but I learned more of a mixed martial arts. I used to be a police officer. And right now I do a bit of training in Muay Thai and um, a bit of punching bag training. Yeah. And I really, really love the adrenaline rush when when we use our bodies. Because when we have movement and energy, it just flows naturally and our minds can think better after that. Yeah. Yeah. And Charlie is right because we learn so much values through martial arts. Like we learn about perseverance, we learn about respect. Yeah, I think that's very, very important. Yeah, like that. Mm -hmm. So surely, uh, something you'd like to share with uh, both uh, Jules and and the international audience, Uh, another good learner from Taekwondo, what would that be? Mm, well, of course, a lot about respecting everyone, uh, respecting the people. Uh, well, mainly about respecting other people who do the sport, respecting the sport and uh, respecting uh, who you choose to use or not to use uh, yep. it on. 
Right. So, Sean, you also, uh, because of your experience, you're also training others, right? Yeah. Jules, how is it to train other people in, in uh, martial arts? Over here, there's a lot of emphasis on, um, especially in private sectors, when we do training, there's a lot of emphasis on self-mastery. So yes. when we learn about martial arts, we learn about how we control our thoughts, how we remain calm in crisis. I think these are the things that we pick up when we learn martial arts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and surely when, when she just says the, the word mastery, another person springs to mind, which is a mutual connection. Also another reason why we're on this call, uh, Roger Hamilton. Um, mm -hmm. So you have both attended this training in Bali. Surely, uh, what, what is uh, iLab all about? Well, iLab is basically a course to get your business on track, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Jules, is that the one you did as well, or did you do another training there? No, I did a training on uh, the Genius Educators Program, uh, yeah, yeah, where yeah. We, train, yeah, we train educators on how to build uh, our own businesses, how we equip kids that are even not doing well in schools. I think that is something very, very valuable, because right now, um, most of the people in Singapore, especially, there's so much stress and pressure on academic yes. success. But in terms of the future, they may not do very well because entrepreneurship is the way to go. And a lot of the jobs that are, that are available out there right now may not even be available in years to come. Yeah. yeah. So I'm uh, very yeah. grateful for the training. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's super cool. Surely, uh, she has no idea what you're doing a month from now. You're flying to London. Why would you fly to London? Well, either because I'm working with you or because I'm working with you. So basically, there's two things you might be talking about. Either uh, we're I'm having a about, course uh, in England. Yeah, I'm talking about your, your course in London. Yeah. What is that about? So basically, we're having a course in England and for younger entrepreneurs. Yeah, exactly. So that's exactly what you just spoke about there, Jules. Uh, how to help the, the next generation, really, with finding their own power within and finding their own flow and uh, and in many cases uh, 30 40 years earlier than many of the people i met who came across this system as well yeah i heard that charlie is doing um he has a book together with you yeah, on yeah. Uh, teenagers yeah. how to make money that was yeah. so cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think i will definitely reach out to you again another day to help the kids in the shelters and the teenagers in the shelters with Perfect. their projects on how you can be an entrepreneur. Yeah. That would be awesome. Yeah, yeah. Sean, Sean, you've also seen some people uh, in, in London also living, uh, maybe not always like in a shelter, but also in really hard, hard conditions like yeah. living on the streets. Uh, so when, when you see people living outdoors where the conditions are worse, Sean, what, what does that make you think? Hmm... Well, it makes me first of all think, how did they get there? Yeah. And uh, is it possible for them to get their life back on track? Yeah. Jules, over to you. What do you think when you, when you come across someone in the shelter or, or living rough? I used to think that um, they are somehow, they have much lesser than I do. But my work with them has proved otherwise. Yeah. I've learned that everybody has their own challenges. And I also learned to see them not as victims, but as survivors. And they have so much to teach us in terms of perseverance, in terms of their way of life, in terms of optimism. So it's just that they need opportunities. And that's where you come in and where I come in and where so many of us can come in together to level the playing ground. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I love to to get some learnings from from the the values of, of being a police officer, which can be uh, seen in so many different lights as well. So, what did you take away from your uh, career working with the police? Oh, I take away so much. I know. I think one of the most important thing. <laughs> yeah, you had military background, right? Yes, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So one of the things that I learned is that um, emotions always trump logic. Yeah, because I did like commercial crime cases and there are some victims that I interviewed and even though the facts are so clear that they might be victims of, of, of a scam, they just refuse to believe it and they continue sending money over to, to overseas to some unknown person just because they believe that um, you know, someone loves them and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it makes me see a different set of, yeah, just like even how we always see that the world is unsafe when we were in the police force because there's so many people out there and they need help. But after a while, I realized that there's actually another side to it. Even criminals, they have a soft side to themselves and they do want to improve themselves. And it's just that they lack self-mastery skills. Even right now, when we think about white-collar crime, it's because a lot of people do not have the kind of self-mastery skills that they need to cope with their daily challenges, so they take the easy way out. Yeah. Yeah. So I see the need, I see the huge gap in self-mastery skills through the police force. And that's why I left subsequently and started my own company. Yeah. Yeah. Surely, that does anything anything at all spring to mind? Or, well, I'm interested in your taekwondo. How long did you do that? I did that when I was a child, when I was about age seven to about mm-hmm. twelve. Yeah, yeah. So then I had uh, I went to a community center. Do you have community centers back there where you are at? Uh, like community centers where n- people come together. We, we have some, some in London, but it's, it's not that common. Uh, it's almost like a community center where, surely, where you do things with the church. Right, Charlie? Uh-huh. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and also like wow. community center for the young, young people as well. Uh, Charlie used to live in London, but now lives in a very small city in, in a rural part of Sweden. Yeah. Quite a big difference. I see. So in Singapore... Community centers are very, very important and integral part of life where they bring together people of all ages, young kids, uh, even seniors, all have, uh, have different courses that cater to them. And in Singapore, we believe in lifelong learning. So mm-hmm. the kids can go there to pick up skills in IT, pick up skills in Taekwondo, and the seniors can also pick up skills in Qigong and in cooking and yeah. even learning about EQ and businesses so yeah. yeah so when you do taekwondo yeah i'm just curious um do you have instances where you have to practice it in some ways in your life uh pra- well of course i have to practice it well basically we have uh, gradings and belts and stuff so we have to train for that and maybe train for competitions and stuff do you, do you use any of the, the, the thinking from the taekwondo in your daily life, Johnny? Uh, like in Dublin main, spirit, mainly, spirit, for example. <laughs> mainly perseverance and, uh, and, uh, like, um, and uh, controlling my emotions. Yeah. A lot. Controlling. Uh, uh, Johnny, how is it to be a teenager? Do you need to think about your emotions now and then? 
Not really, but... Really? <laughs> oh, Jules, maybe. do you need to think about your emotions? Yes, all the time. Same here. In fact, emotions are data, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I always believe that emotions are data. So we yes. use emotions to make decisions, make better decisions with emotions. Yeah. Yeah, but... You, you mentioned the uh, EQ there, uh, Jules. Just uh, to elaborate for, for the audience, uh, many, many people will, of course, know the, uh, the acronym, uh, but it's very much linked to what we spoke about now. So what, what does EQ mean to you? For me, EQ means that you need to take your emotions as data, data to make better decisions, and also understanding the, that your triggers. Because when you understand your patterns and your triggers, your emotions are able to tell you what to do next and what's coming up next. And it also tells you what are the belief systems that you have. Like a lot of times, our emotions are tied to our belief systems. Like for example, uh, anger issues. Like if you believe that um, the world is unsafe and, and because of the past that you have been through or because you have a traumatic past, in the future, when even when you have new relationships, loving relationships, you tend to color it with with those kind of emotions because you are easily triggered. So I think a lot of people, they don't really see the need for investing in themselves in terms of emotions. Yeah, they suppress their emotions rather than allowing it to be a guide or compass for themselves. Yeah. yeah. So Patrick, how do you use emotions in, in in the military? Uh, for, for me, uh, it's a lot, like you said, about self-mastery. How do you manage your own feelings? Because I've been working in many different, different situations, uh, which sometimes have been hostile. Uh, sometimes it's been very hard on your own psyche. Uh, and sometimes your friends have experienced the same or a different situation. You also have to help them to, to really manage how they feel. For example, like post-traumatic stress and, and disorders just like that which is not like, uh, it almost becomes like a, a mental illness because something doesn't feel right on the inside. So uh, I would say those are the main ones. Um, and then also the whole relationship base of, of EQ is something I've been having to manage for myself and thinking more actively. Because of the military training, you push away those feelings, so I have to build them back up again. I did 16 years with, with the military, which of course has got a big impact on my life. But I, I have had a, a longer life with my wife than with the military, which means she's also tried to bring me back to the dark side of the force, force to be to be more friendly. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> right, Charlie. <laughs> Am I? Do, do I think about feelings a bit now and then? Uh, do you? Yes. Do I? Sometimes. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, most of us. Yeah. Uh, most of us. Uh, even though we maybe don't admit to it, do it. Yeah, of course. Mm. Yeah. And uh, why do you think people don't admit to it? Uh, maybe because of the way they've been brought up, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You yeah. think it's because it's challenging? Like, it's very difficult to be in the moment and feel difficult, challenging emotions? Yeah. You think? Uh, also, being a, a teenage boy, is it common to put the feelings on the outside of the skin or on the inside? What do you think? Mm. Well, actually, when you're along friends, you tend to put out everything. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. 
And also, I think, like you said, Charlie, it really depends on the personality. Just you and your brother, you're so different. You're more likely to show emotions, for example, than than your brother. Yeah. Would you agree? Yeah. 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 Have you, Jules, got any siblings? Yes, I do. I have one, um, like two years younger than me. She's like 33. Yeah. And I have one who is like barely 18. It's still a teenager. Yeah. 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 And and he's he's pretty much quite rather quiet, and he doesn't really talk about his emotions that much. But I've learned not to push it. Like yeah. sometimes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I've learned that um, once we give people the space and just hold space for them, they will eventually have a burning desire to, to reach out after a while. Yeah. yeah. How, how do you find the, the family as, as a value in, in Singapore? Do you find it important as, as a generalization? Oh, I have, this is my pet topic actually. I always <laughs> believe that it's a double-edged sword because yeah. <laughs> people's sense of family, their value is so strong. Somehow, I feel that their definition of family is too small because I believe that, you know, if only people include other people, like your chosen family, um, make it bigger and contribute to a wider society, I think that would be much better. Like in Singapore, most people, especially certain cultures, they believe that if you want to help others, you help your own family first and you wait until you grow like really rich, like you become a billionaire, that you can start helping others yeah. but I don't believe that it's true yeah yeah so do you, do you see any part of your life as like your extended family like the, the really closest one in the taekwondo club for example you're going on competitions yeah. do they feel like family yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. basically yeah so uh, tell tell uh, uh, Jules about uh, how how have you progressed with taekwondo she doesn't know how long time you've been doing it well Basically, when I was four, uh, I -hmm. started doing uh, taekwondo, but then it was uh, as soon as you could uh, stand on one leg, as as soon as you can jump on one leg, you were allowed to start with taekwondo. (laughs) And you didn't have belts, you had t-shirts, basically, colored t-shirts in the beginning. That's so cute. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh, su- super cute. But still very, very serious with with, with uh, grading and everything. So yeah, yeah. How, how did you move on from there, Charlotte? <laughs> then I then I progressed. This was back in England when we lived there, and uh, uh, I got a few belts. But I uh, with like, well, we had a very different belting system or grading system. But basically, uh, I didn't get super far. And then we moved to Sweden and. Uh, I, I've been training here for six years now and uh, I actually this winter I took a black belt mm. so Charlie um, may I just ask what is the significance of the belt to you like if there's no grading there's no belt will you have stayed long in, in, in the field of taekwondo yeah I'm sorry yeah? what was the question oh, my question is uh, what is the significance of the belts and the grading to you if let's uh, say there's no grading, me, there's no belts. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, to me, uh, hmm, it, well, it doesn't really matter. It's ma- mainly the experience from the trainings that I think is important. And uh, of course, I think the belts are a motivator to stay because like, if you've been training for, uh, for us, well, I mean, black belt is of course just a belt, but it signifies something as well. Uh, so, 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I did. I've also, like yourself, Jules, uh, done various martial arts with the military and especially with special forces. You you learn everything from from Krav Maga to a mix of everything, really. What what works in reality. And uh, uh, besides that, I also did uh, uh, Thai boxing, which I also enjoyed a lot. And, and there, you don't really have a belt at all. You just carry on year after year. You don't really progress from a belt point of view, but from yeah. a knowledge point of view. Uh, and also from a mindset point of view. So I think they're all different, but I think most of them have got a grading system towards, just like in the hierarchy in the military, and eventually become a general. Uh, in the same way, like yeah. eventually you will become the, the most senior one within the, the highest level. And I think that is also very much used in, in entrepreneurship. So you, you earn your belts, whether they are visible or invisible as well. Every... Mm-hmm. from the key steps and I think what you're working with there like to help people to recognize what they're good at is is one of the key steps so in your life as as a coach how do you help people to find their strength yeah the reason why I asked Charlie about the significance of the belts and grading is that I feel that each time when we manage to clear a grade we it's an opportunity for celebration yeah. I feel that because life, we don't have such grading and we don't have such belts. So um, we have to create our own. We have to know yeah. when to celebrate our wins, when to celebrate our, the milestones that we have created for ourselves. So yeah, back to your question, you're asking me how I support people to, to improve themselves and to find self-mastery. I think most importantly is um, I help them to really clear their past limiting beliefs because a lot of times people, when they go through life, they, they, they really harness their survival skills, survival instincts. But their survival instincts may not be helping them to thrive, especially in the police force, where I see many people, um, they have been in the police force all their life. And then when they retire, um, they don't really grow much. They don't yeah. invest in themselves in terms of their health because they have been running on adrenaline for so long. They, are, they have been surviving on their survival instincts, but they have not developed true resilience in terms of really looking after their health, looking yeah. after their spirituality and forming their purpose. Yeah, so that's where I come in and really help them to find the perspective shift. Yeah. yeah. yeah I've got several friends who are helping uh, police officers to move from that uh, role in, in their life to working with uh, real estate investments to use real estate investments as a new passion uh, to reignite and also to create a, a second income, which uh, then eventually becomes larger than the actual salary. Uh, and I find that's very interesting because it's very similar with, with people leaving the, the military, which is also like a very, very close system. Uh, and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, overnight, you are coming to the other side of the fence and not like the, the, the military uh, as a prison, but... It is like we often talk about the the civilian side as like on one side there's military, on the other side it's the whole society. But hopefully the the, the police is it part of the society in Singapore or is it uh, having its own boundaries? What do you think? Uh, you know the policemen in Singapore. I'm not sure about overseas. We don't even feel comfortable eating in public places. So normally they have to buy their food back and, and eat in the stations. Yeah. yeah. But we are much, very, very much a part of the public life right now. Like there's 
the scheme where officers don't wear their uniform. So they wear like polo t-shirts and shorts and they go around knocking on doors and saying hi to people and building community relationships. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do they have different. that? Yeah. Uh, Sean, what do you think? Do you often see police in Sweden? Uh, actually, no, not so often. They're, they, uh, they are not like in the sense like they aren't visible uh, so often. Mainly when I see uh, police, it's in a police car going somewhere. Yeah. So uh, like, you don't like to see them on the streets or anything. Yeah, surely. Do you remember uh, living in London? Did the police officer have weapons? Guns? Um not too sure. They they usually don't. And um, do they have guns in Sweden? I think they do. Yeah, they do. Do they have carry uh, I'm not uh, talking about uh, electrical guns etc but do, do do the servicing officers carry guns? For Charlie's sake, in Singapore? Yes, we do. In fact, we carry a revolver. Yeah. yeah and we also have a taser. Yeah. Yes. Taser plus a baton, the whole full set. Yeah. yeah. Even though guns are illegal in Singapore, um, mm. I think, yeah, it's just for safety's sake. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I actually, I was quite shocked that um, some officers in other countries, they don't really carry guns. And I find that very amazing. It's so yeah. full of courage not to, to make that decision, not to, you know, equip yeah. officers with guns. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now I find it fascinating as well, uh, especially since I've been growing up in the, in the, in the world where weapons had a quite central lo- role as well in, in the military. Uh, and I find it fascinating as well. So here, surely, we have special weapons teams that come and support instead. Um, but if you think about violence and, and threat in, in society, if, if the police don't carry guns, do you think that de-escalates or escalates the situation, Charlie? Think about I like, think the, it can the, be the, very the necessary violence, so to speak. If the police, yeah, I, I you. think I think policemen have to act in a different way if they uh, don't have guns, and I think that it they act in less stressful way. I think, yeah. So, so if you have a gun, you can of course threaten with it and stuff like that. And that, that can be stressful on the, for example, criminal. Yeah, yeah. So they do maybe not the best decision, and then it becomes bad for themselves. Yeah, uh, lots of my uh, friends uh, from from Asia they love to go to the movies. Do you like uh, watching movies, Jules? <laughs> um. Right now, I'm watching, not movies, but TV series. Yeah, yeah, Have you yeah. heard of num- Numbers? Which one? Numbers. Numbers. Uh, numbers yes. uh, yeah. where, where they use math to solve yeah, problems. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's been on yeah. TV in Sweden as well a while ago. Yeah. Yeah. And it's quite interesting because I was watching uh, one of the episodes and he's talking about the trust matrix. Yeah. And yeah. how he used maths <laughs> to actually calculate how you can trust other people. And yeah, um, Charlie, you've been to iLab, right? And yeah. you understand Roger Hamilton's work about the flow of trust and how businesses build trust and how you trust people for different things. Yep. Would you like yeah. to, to share more with us on that? Um, I think that is also quite suitable to talk about because he's even written a book called Trust is the New Currency. <laughs> yes. I'll give the question back to, to you, Jules, just uh, to get a different angle of it for people who've never heard you on, on the podcast as well. So how would you explain that to yourself, Jules? 
working with with trust. <laughs> hmm. I feel that trust, like I said previously, trust. You first have to trust yourself. Like I'm working. Um, I'm working on a program right now. Uh, hopefully it will be rolled out very soon. Yep. I wanted to build trust in prison inmates, how they can trust themselves, and then how they can build uh, a business that actually contributes value that in turn will be able to flow, have a trust flow to, from society back to them. Yeah. So yeah. I feel that trust is really a very, very interesting topic. And I believe that trust has to be earned in a lot yes. of ways. And like what the show was talking about, um, they were talking about also about tit for tat, where you give people uh, yeah. the opportunity to, to, to return and to reciprocate your trust. I think that's, point. that's a process. Yeah, it's a whole process involved. Yeah, I like, yeah. I like that. Yeah. And uh, for, for the whole world, uh, Jules is a fantastic guest. She's done a great research into us, Charlie, uh, mm-hmm. finding about the book, checking us out on LinkedIn, Googling a bit. Uh, and I found that super helpful because uh, she can also lead us into to interesting talking points. Uh, unfortunately, this is uh, for all of us a busy day. We've all caught uh, you, Jules, at, uh, as a busy day, time as well. Um, we'd love to give some like key uh, ideas to, to the audience. If you have the chance to to say something to the world in terms of things you have learned uh, that have helped you and you think can serve also others, what, what would that be? I think it will be my work on aging because yeah. a lot of times by work, I help people who are in their 45 and above in their 50s, even entrepreneurs and CEOs. Um, and a lot of times they are so focused on their businesses. They don't really think about the aging process. It's not even something that they're aware of. And yeah. to me, aging is... It's actually a form of um, turning your belief systems into reality. So really what I would like to encourage people to do is to really look at your belief system, study your belief systems. What are the things that propel you forward? What are the things that are stopping you? What are the things that, that is sabotaging yourself in ways that you're sabotaging yourself? And really look at it and see and plan ahead. Like too many people, they don't really, they think of life in, in very short bursts of time. But I would love to encourage people to think 60 years from now. Like, for example, Frederick, what, what do you think of life? What would life be like for you like 60 years from now? Will you yeah, even be able no, to think of no, the possibility? Number one, I, I will still be alive and, and I will uh-huh. be, still have a body that I can and use. And at that time, I will be 105, very soon 106. Uh, mm-hmm. I really look forward to that time. Uh, I think mm-hmm. so many cool things have happened in the world and society and Charlie will also have his own kids. I look forward to that. <laughs> well done. So Charlie, have you thought about what you will do 60 years from now? Or do you have any idea, any possibilities? That- uh, I, I really want to uh, contribute to society in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, on a large scale. I think you are already, Charlie. So you're on the right track of, of yes. giving and sharing. Uh-huh. Cool, yeah, Shirley, we, we have two, two questions, Shirley, we usually ask in the podcast to all guests. Yeah. Uh, how about this? So our podcast name uh, is Invest in You. What does that mean to you? I think that means really understanding yourself. Invest the time to really go into deep reflection and deep contemplation to really understand what are the things that affect you, what are the things that you need to resolve in your past and how you can own your future and how you can realize and materialize your future. 
And yeah. a lot of people, they don't realize that they can do it more efficiently and more in a more faster manner, more efficient, like more efficiently in a manner that it doesn't take as much resources and as much time. Yeah, a lot of people, when they go through life, they didn't know that they can seek help. Uh, that's one of the things that I learned in police force, that if you, don't, if you don't give up, sometimes you can't do it all by yourself. You need support and backup. And the yeah. same goes with life as well. When we go through crises in terms of even when we go through terminal illness, you can actually get people to help you when you have a crisis in your business. You can actually get people to help you so that you can think more clearly. You can invest in the time and the resources to, to find better ways of looking at things and really open up possibilities yeah. in your mind. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, where, where can people find you? in the world are you active on social media where can people follow your work or find anything about you if they like to connect with this podcast well if they would like to connect there's my website the affirmativepeople.co yeah. yeah and and they can actually just reach out and I have like um, a calendar link that they can link up because yeah. I love to talk to people from all walks of life Perfect. and share insights and share ideas and so, you, you yeah. can find that through yeah. your uh, website I presume Yes, yeah, you can. Exactly, exactly. Uh-huh. Good one. Uh, Charlie, we're getting very close towards the end of this podcast. Any other message to the, the big audience out there in the world? Of course. Uh, thank you for being on this podcast, Jules, and thank you for the audience uh, for listening in. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's been absolutely a great pleasure to, to have you on board, Jules. Any last words to, to the world before we hit pause on the recording here? Well, I would just like to say thank you for allowing me this space to be here and that I honour everyone present and I honour the future possibilities that lie ahead in front of us. Love it. Love your smile. And for people who haven't seen that, uh, Jules has been smiling the whole podcast and thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. Cheers. Thanks. Cheers.